Welcome to the Business of Learning, the Learning Leaders Podcast from Training Industry. Hi, and welcome to the Business of Learning. I'm Taryn H. DeLong, Managing Editor of Digital Content at Training Industry. And I'm Sarah Gallo, an Associate Editor. This episode of the Business of Learning is sponsored by Training Industry Research. As a training professional, your job is to effectively manage the business of learning. You probably listen to this podcast to gain insights on L&D trends being used by some of the most innovative thought leaders in our market. But did you know that training industry also provides data-driven analysis and best practices through our premium research reports? Our entire catalog, including reports on topics such as deconstructing 70-2010, women's access to leadership development, learner preferences, and the state of the training market, just to name a few, can be found at trainingindustry.com slash shop research. New insights create new ways for L&D to do business. Let training industry research reports assist you in taking your learning initiatives to new heights. Go to trainingindustry.com slash shop research to view our entire catalog. Today's workforce is dynamic. Organizations might have some employees clocking into an office and others logging in online from around the world to join the same all-hands meeting. Needless to say, there's no one-size-fits-all approach to training the modern workforce. With that in mind, today we're speaking with Jamie Brashears, Senior Manager in Deloitte Consulting's Learning and Leadership Practice, and Lynn Ledley, a Certified Professional in Training Management and Senior Vice President at Pac State University. We're going to explore how blended learning can drive engagement and, as a result, business outcomes. Jamie and Lynn, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, to kick things off, why don't you both define blended learning for us? Lynn, let's start with you. I would define it as various ways of training on a particular topic for the learner to have multiple opportunities to observe the information and or practice the behavior. So examples would include a combination of classroom training, self-paced courses, role play practice, and shadowing of others who are already proficient in the skills. Yeah, I define it really as just a mix of modalities. Right. We're not talking about the interactions that are in an e-learning where it's like now you do a drag and drop and now you do a flip card. Now, this is like a true mix of modalities. You've got attention spans are shorter. So we need to mix it up with small, quick bites of information, whether it's I read something, I attend a virtual instructor-led session, I watch a video, I job shadow. It's just it's mixing all those things up. And I think that's a true blended learning experience. Thank you both. So now that we've defined blended learning, let's let's dig a bit deeper. In 2021, there's so many ways to deliver training, and you've both mentioned a couple. So with all of these modalities to choose from, how can learning leaders make sure they're picking the right ones for their programs? Jamie, do you want to start us off with this one? Yeah, and I think this is a question I get, some form of this question is what I get a lot, right? And I think whether it be the learning professional or, or people in the business, they're so used to a formula, right? If this, then that. And I think that's where the art and the science come in here is it's not that straightforward. You know, there's so many different factors. What are the business outcomes you're trying to drive towards? How much time, how much budget do you have? Is everybody in one location? Are people around the globe? Right. All those are kind of inputs. And then, you know, it's back to your instructional design 101 of like, what are the pain points? Why do people fail at doing this? Or why do they not do it well? Or what, what, that's holding them back from doing it. And once you really get into those kind of things, it'll start to become clear of, okay, this is a place where people really need to practice or see other people do it or talk to other people about it. And that kind of helps zero in on figuring out the right modality mix. 
Yeah, I would say uh, totally agree, Jamie. And, and also look at what you're trying to accomplish first. I think there's a big difference between soft skills and what I would call hard skills or technical skills. If you're trying to learn a new application as part of your job, it helps to have live hands-on training and then combine it with maybe a self-paced course that has software simulation within it. This can be a powerful way for the learner to practice in a safe environment at their own pace. And then you could maybe follow that with shadowing so they can observe how others use the system. And then, you know, even maybe record that session so the learner can go back at their own pace and rewatch certain parts of it. I think for soft skills, um, it helps to also leverage several modalities, but you're talking about maybe something different where they learn about how to do a cold call or a, a sales call from classroom training, but you want to follow that up with a couple other ways where they can practice in a safe environment. We do a lot of what we call cold call role play or mock call role play, where they're practicing in front of their peers, which is still kind of a scary proposition, but it's still safe in that they're not doing it with a, an actual customer just yet. And they get that feedback from their peers. Plus, you retain the information in long-term memory when you've made mistakes and your adrenaline is going and you remember those mistakes and you remember what you did well. So I think you really have to start with the end in mind. What are you trying to accomplish? What skills do you want the learner to gain? And then introduce different modalities, maybe slowly one at a time to see if you're getting the results that you're looking for. There's some great tips. I think it's definitely important, like you mentioned, to look at your end outcome and what you're trying to achieve and also your learners. I mean, for example, we wouldn't see retail employees walking around talking to customers while carrying a laptop. That'd just be unreasonable and probably uncomfortable. But mobile learning or another modality like that may be, may be a better fit. All right. So we know it's obviously important to select delivery modalities strategically, but of course, that's only half the battle, right? What tips do you all have for seamlessly integrating these different delivery modalities? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in here because I'm kind of passionate about this. I am a consultant, right? And I go help different organizations and different companies can, can do this or learning strategy and that type of thing. So I've, I've seen it in different places. Typically, the first hurdle is the learning organization itself. The, the people in the learning organization, because this is very different. So it's going to make you feel uncomfortable. It's going to make you feel like your cheese is being moved, right? It's not learning how you used to think about it. So you have to kind of get over that. The end users are ready for this. They are so used to this. They're at home. That's how their, their world is. And so we're just getting closer to that. I think that you have to come with an open mind. The, Willingness to be agile, to experiment with a small group, test it out, have some success, and the people are going to say, ooh, I want more of that. And then you're kind of empowered. You also have to think about different tools to just what Lynn mentioned about, you know, if you're a call center rep in your practice, right? You can do role plays, but there are also now video tools that you record yourself doing it. And there's some where you can like, oh, no, I screwed up, and you can restart it. And there are others that are more like, hey, it's a final exam. You get one shot. You know, there's a little more tension there. And then you submit that maybe to a, an instructor, somebody who gives you feedback, or some of them are even so smart now with AI, it'll 
count the number of ums you say, and if you make sure you say the the right client name or whatever those. There's a bunch of great tools out there, and, and they're not crazy expensive, right? So to make it seamless is one way to come up with like all the little different modalities, video, document, activity. But how do you pull those all together, right, into that seamless experience? One way is a learning delivery platform. I know we've talked before, but there's several out there. You know, Intrepid's one I kind of I'm most familiar with, but it's a great place to put all the small pieces and it kind of creates the seamless experience. And then you figure out all the different pieces. But there's just so many different tools and technologies out there, which which makes it overwhelming, it makes it daunting, right? But I think once you figure out what the business outcome is and the experience you want people to have, it really helps zero in on the types of tools. And then you can be more targeted at what you're looking at. Yeah, I agree. And to add on to what Jamie just said, we have a learning management system that we rolled out about a year and a half ago. We use Docebo. And we had two different platforms, one where the sales folks would take training and then they'd have to go to another tool and record themselves practicing that demo, that product demo or that pitch. And they'd have to upload the video and get graded in another system. We now have that all within the LMS. So it makes it seamless from the standpoint of the learner. They go through and watch others do it. And then the very next thing, there's just a button they push. They can record themselves right within the tool. It uploads and then it notifies the manager that they can grade. We have rubrics and assessment maps where the manager grades on how well the rep did with the pitch and gaining rapport and understanding pain points, those types of things. But I'll also answer your uh, initial question about how do you seamlessly integrate different training modalities. I think one thing, it really helps to have a learning culture at your organization. And the employees should be able to see opportunities to grow and develop throughout their journey at the company. It no longer is. We do new hire training and then you're done. You're left to your own devices. I think that especially younger people, millennials, Gen Z, want to see where their career is going to go once they join a company. They want to see longer term. What opportunities do they have to be challenged and to grow? But I'll also say to make sure something's seamlessly integrated, you have to make sure the modalities or the ways in which you're training that they all fit together and the messaging is consistent. If you do live classroom training and then the very next thing is you assign an e-learning course that reinforces that same topic, if it's completely different than what the trainer just said in the live classroom training, then you've got not only confusion, but you have an inability to learn new concepts and, and gain those new behaviors. And Lynn, you mentioned the importance of creating that learning culture. I'm interested to see how you think workplaces that are either remote or hybrid can actually do that and create that culture of learning in their workplace. Well, I know this is going to sound cliche, but it does start at the top. It starts at the executive level. And I'm, I'm fortunate enough to say our CEO totally supports the learning and development. He always says within the company, he always says, your employee journey here, I don't know how long it will be, but we want you to leave. Whenever you do leave, you say, I've learned so much throughout my entire employee journey. He started at Arthur Anderson and had an amazing onboarding and training experience there, and he still remembers that. So it does come from the top, but I also think that you need budget, you need resources, you need someone who has the vision and can 
share that with executive leadership and make sure it's aligned with the business outcomes. And you have to be able to measure what you're doing and tout your successes. So that's one thing that we strive for. You've got the Kirkpatrick model of level one through four in terms of measurement. You always want to get to that elusive level four, which sometimes is difficult to do. But we do measure, we not only get feedback on how we're doing on our training, but we, through observation, coaching, checking certain metrics, we can prove at least some correlation between our programs and how successful the business is. And I do think that learning culture, it's hard to create and it doesn't happen overnight, for sure. I think that's where it's got to be blended into your leadership development programs. And so leaders know, it's, hey, it's there, it's your, we expect you to support the development of, of other people. And that's the culture you want to create. And it's not all about formal training. It's about those ad hoc, just quick coaching sessions or, hey, let me show you how I did this because I want you to be able to do it again. Once that becomes ingrained, it's much easier to have a developmental culture, whatever you learning culture, whatever you want to call it. It really seems like blended learning can be an asset then in developing that culture because there's so many opportunities to learn. You know, as as you said, Jamie, with the coaching, ad hoc coaching, and then the formal training, mm-hmm. kind of blending all of those experiences together really helps solidify that overall culture that encourages learning. Yeah. And I think that's that's going to be the challenge is how do you figure out all the small pieces, right? And leave them together to create kind of a, an ideal learning experience or whatever the topic is you're, you're focusing on. Yeah. And for leadership training, one of the things that we found is is very powerful is you, you're in the classroom, you're doing activities, you're you're trying to learn new skills, especially as a new leader. How can you prove three months later that you knew how to have a, a good needs-based feedback discussion with one of your employees or something like that? You can only prove that through your own self-assessment or ask that person's leader if they've observed new behaviors and how the coaching sessions have gone with them. So again, you need everybody on board with finding this a valuable and important part of Mm -hmm. the company culture. Yeah, not to take it too far off topic, but down that vein of blended for leadership development, I think what we've done a lot lately is more of the bring your own challenge, bring your own problem, right? It's more action learning. So like, We'll have a speaker who gives some content. You'll watch a video on how to do your problem statement. It'll be an activity you, you practice writing it, whatever it might be. But then you have a problem that you've brought to the course. And each week, maybe you do some of that. You have to go interview stakeholders. You have to come up with an idea. You prototype. You present it out. All of that. So you learn how to solve problems and navigate your organization. So you're actually really doing it, you know, learning in the flow. of. Um, and so that's where the blend comes in of the mix of the, the live time with an instructor the on-demand with the videos and, you know, reading the documents and then the application of going out and doing a real problem and talking to real peers or stakeholders, whoever, which will make the tension will be at, a, at an all-time high than when you do that because you're, you're doing it for real. That's a great example. Thanks, Jamie. And uh, Lynn, you mentioned a couple times that you've done blended learning and sales training. So I was wondering if you could walk us through what that looked like building up that blended learning approach within your sales training programs. Yeah, I'd say less than two years ago, we probably had mostly just live classroom training. And since then, we've really added on to it based on feedback. And of course, the having to go work from home abruptly last March 
and just tweaking different things and iterating over time to where it was a two-week program about a year and a half ago, and now it's four weeks for our sales new hire onboarding. It's very intensive. We cover a lot of material during that time. We don't expect them to know everything and be fully ready when they they leave that four-week program, but it's a combination of live virtual classroom training, e-learning. Like I mentioned, we we assign an e-learning course that's related specifically to whatever we just covered in the classroom. And so that gives them time that they can, on their own, self-paced, learn more about that specific topic. And then when we get to week two, we're already doing role play with them where they're practicing in front of their peers. And then once we get to week three, it's a combination still of classroom, e-learning, and then they're shadowing. So they're shadowing veteran reps on calls and listening to recorded calls. And one thing that I think they, they get a lot from is the whole class will listen to a recorded call and be expected to take notes on what they heard. Again, this is, you've got to accommodate all the learning styles as well. So an auditory learner might do much better listening to a call and then taking notes. And then at the end of the call, everybody chimes in or what they think went well with the call and what could be improved. And so you're thinking for yourself, but you're also learning from others. So that's what we do the first month. And then we follow it. This is where the real kicker comes in, where we've noticed reduced ramp times. The second month, those same sales trainers are dedicated to coaching, doing one-on-one coaching sessions with those new hires, making sure they're getting embedded in their sales teams, doing shadowing and practicing, doing spot trainings on internal processes and tools. So we're there for them that second month as well. We don't just say, good luck, you're out on the sales floor on month two. So that's worked out really well for us. How did the rollout of this transition you know, into this new approach go? Are there any challenges or bumps in the road? And how did you deal with that? Yes, there were, um, as you would expect. One thing, initially, we got pushed back from the sales managers because, of course, once you hire sales reps, they want to get them going in on the sales floor as quickly as possible. So they really pushed back going from two weeks to three and then four. But explaining why we were doing this and that they would be better prepared if they had a little bit more time in the classroom, they they ultimately understood that. The other thing that you have to do as an L&D professional is you have to educate others. We're in the L&D space and we're talking the lingo all the time. You have to educate others that the retention rate still after a month of being in that new hire onboarding program, you might have only retained 25 to 30% of everything that you learned. It's just total information overload. And for managers to think, oh, they should know everything they need to do within Salesforce or all of our internal tools, it's it's like, no, set the proper expectations. They're not going to know that. They're going to need to repeat and try over and have more reinforcement training on that month too. So some of it is just educating others on why we're doing what we're doing and what the what the ultimate benefit is to them. Goes back to Jamie's point from earlier about needing to educate and how that starts with the learning team. Absolutely. Definitely. And also the importance of that reinforcement, right? Like you said, Lynn, you're not just going to throw people back onto the sales floor after the training and just let them 
free fall. So it's important to note that as training managers, it's also important to follow up and make sure your learners are actually putting those ideas into practice in daily roles. That also kind of goes into my next point, which we mentioned this before, but more organizations are definitely adopting remote and or hybrid work. Jamie and Lynn, I'm interested to hear how you think this rise in remote work is impacting the demand for learning. So it's a really interesting question. It sounds like a really easy question, but it's, I think people still don't really understand what true blended learning is. And so I think the demand will go up even after, quote unquote, we go back to normal and I cannot wait to get on a plane again. But I think that Still, a lot of people think it's each it's a live virtual classroom or it's just watching videos, right? Or it's e-learning, right? And it's not one or the other, right? A true blended is all those things put together. And so I think as people realize how much more early on it was, you know, even I was like apologetic, like, yeah, we can't be in person for this. So, you know, we're going to have to figure out a way to do it. But now as I've done more of this, I'm like, no, there's so much more you can do in a blended environment that you can't do in a classroom. And think about it. If somebody's having a bad day, you know, they call out, get called out for a meeting, they lose what's in the classroom, they, they just miss it, right? If you create a bunch of opportunities where people can kind of do things in a cohort, but maybe, we do, maybe each week we have a certain set of tasks we have to do in conversations, then I do it on my own time when I'm ready. Maybe I'm not a morning person, so I would do mine at night. But then I could put comments in. Somebody who's a morning person could see my comments in the morning. We're having the same conversation. I think that's what you kind of get in this truly blended world and you're able to network and work with your peers and all of that kind of thing. And I, I think demand for that is just going to go up as we get more mature with what real blended learning is. I agree. And I think having to be pushed to work from home has kind of broken that trend of classroom training is your primary and, and only type of training. I think that, and I, I'm sure professors at universities are really struggling with this because they were so used to the old paradigm of I'm going to stand in front of the classroom at my chalkboard and this is how I teach. And they're now on Zoom calls and have to figure out ways to not only engage learners and, and make sure they stay engaged, but then what are those follow-up activities that's going to get them to, again, provide the results expected and the, the new subject matter to be um, learned, I guess. So I don't see us going back to classroom live training being the primary source of learning. I really see it as this combination of as we learn more about brain science and we learn more about younger people and the way they like to learn. We're being forced to think of new ways to keep the learner engaged and to make it fun, you know? Yeah, and just a quick, one of the recent projects, I guess we kind of did it over the summer, but Life Sciences Healthcare Organization had to onboard, and they, they had a new drug they are getting ready to launch. And so they had to onboard about 500 to 700 call center reps to be able to talk to patients and doctors about the drug. And you can imagine there's a lot to learn just about the subject matter and then how to be a you know a good customer service, empathy on the phone and all those kind of skills. And their original program was six weeks full time, right? They'd get them all in the ballroom and do the kind of standard training we're used to. And by using kind of a, we did it all 
I'm going to call it digital slash remote, whatever. We cut it down to five weeks so we could get them to, you know, proficient faster. And we did a true mix where each day, now this is, this is kind of extreme, like full time learning. So we had in the morning and we had the afternoon, we had like a, like a team huddle where they were all kind of on Zoom, kind of could see each other, kind of like a office hours. Every once in a while, it would be a content. We'd share some content with them. But then, you know, during the other times, they were in the platform. They were watching videos, reading documents, doing activities, practicing with their doing all the kind of activities that they could do in a classroom. But then they still kind of got the live component of it. And the feedback we got from the learners was just off the charts because they gave them a little bit of flexibility, but they knew when they're like, okay, I got office hours at three. I need to make sure I have my stuff done. And we were able to do it faster than before. And I think that's where when people start to understand that, I think it's really going to take off. Because no facilitator, you know, they didn't have to pay for travel. No facilitators having to travel. We could do more people at one time than we could before because you're not as limited by facilitators, right? So there's just a whole lot of benefits to it. And you brought up uh, the issue of engagement. And Jamie, it sounds like your example was engaging program for learners. But I know this, this topic of how to engage learners in training is perennial challenge for learning leaders. How can blended learning help make learners more engaged? And what strategies do you have for engaging them in those programs? I definitely think working from home got us thinking more that the trainers that were used to the classroom where they were used to the whiteboard. We started using all of the different features within Zoom that we hadn't before. So we we used whiteboarding, which helps when you're drawing. Again, it uses another part of your brain to remember pictures and how things fit together. We used polling. Polling is a great way to not only tell your learners, hey, by the way, you're going to be quizzed throughout this next hour. They absolutely will pay more attention if they know they're going to be quizzed on something, and especially if they're going to uh, see their answers in front of their peers. So getting polls prepared ahead of time or even on the fly not only gets them to, to be more engaged, but also you can see if they're tracking with you or not. If you ask a question about something you just covered 10 minutes ago and 80% of the class gets the answer wrong, then you know you might need to reinforce that point again or train it in a different way. And then breakout rooms is a really nice way to get smaller group discussions going whether it's the sales new hire training or, as we were discussing before about leadership training, it's great to get small groups of three or four people together in different rooms. We did unconscious bias training and gave different scenarios and said, how would you respond in this particular case? And it was so much better than having 12 people trying to interrupt each other on a Zoom call. So that's the way to get some engagement. Now, fun, we make custom e-learning courses. Um, and load them in our LMS. And we use cartoon characters and animation games. You get points every time you finish a course and you can redeem your points for certain rewards or certain swag. We do Jeopardy and Family Feud games with sales reps on different topics. So we'll train on a topic one week and then we'll play the game the next week. And as you know, they're very competitive. So we try to make it fun and they're learning at the same time. Yeah, I, I think this is the art and science coming together, right? Be as creative as you can. I think, you know, some of the tools and platforms have points and badges and leaderboards, and those are all really helpful. We did a program where we kind of had a, um, like a leader of the week, like an executive that was kind of responsible to talk about maybe the company value that week, right? And 
with some help, we had them positioned, right, to go in and kind of respond to those questions in the chat. And so if you know the leader is going to be on there, either you want to like make sure you look good or you want to make sure you don't look bad. So it drove, it drove engagement. The leader, especially kind of, you know, closer to executive again, people really like to hear from them. It takes a little bit more work to like manage that executive and make sure they can do that. Some other things are whatever it's the report out, the teachbacks, right? Share your idea. Some of the tools have like, hey, share your assignment and then go out there and now you shared yours. Give feedback to two other people. And so that's a good way to start to drive conversation about like, oh, I like how you did this. I hadn't thought about doing it. That's a good idea. You know, that's you get that community building, right? Where the conversation is happening between the participants and not necessarily instructor and participant. And that all of a sudden exponentially takes off a little bit. And so whatever the tool or the platform or however you can kind of set that up, that's that's really the goal to drive engagement. Yeah. And I like what you said, Jamie, about teach back. We use that term within the, my L&D team. If we have a new course that we're building, we have the primary trainer who's going to teach that course, do a teach back with us internally. And we record it, of course, but invariably the number one feedback it seems like we give every time is more engagement. You have to not talk for more than five minutes. You need to ask a question or ask them to do an activity or put a poll out there. That's still something that I think traditional educators struggle with. You want to be sharing information, but it can't be asynchronous where you're doing all the talking and it's one-way communication. So I would say engagement is still, yeah, top of mind and something we always are striving to do better. Yeah, it's even more so facilitating versus presenting, right, which is a big distinction. I have found in the virtual world that it, you know, it used to, if you had a classroom of like 40, maybe even 50, I'm really tall. So when I'm in a classroom, I have a bit of a presence, right? I can kind of manage that side of the room and we can get through things. Let's just say maybe it's a 90 minute session. That's great. When I do that same session, kind of like in a virtual classroom, whatever, uh, I can't do as many and it takes longer. So like it might take me two hours to do like 20 to 25 people because we got to pause, we got to let the internet do its thing and then realize it's not my turn to talk anymore. And you kind of have to call on people, make sure they're on, you know, they're paying attention and get their thoughts, which is much easier to do when you're in a classroom and you can see everybody's body language and all of that. So to do true engagement and to do it well, it's going to take a little bit longer at times, right? So you have to kind of understand that this doesn't mean faster, right? To do it really well. Depending on the modality, it may take you a little bit longer to get the same engagement or impact that you wanted to previously. I think we covered a lot of ground today. I think it's important to look at what's next. How do you both see the future of blended learning evolving? What trends should we look out for? I actually wrote down a couple thoughts on that. I definitely think the future of work really means a hybrid work environment going forward. I haven't talked to anyone who anticipates that all employees will be coming back to the office every day, even post-pandemic. And we've proven that people can work from home and be productive and effective. So what that means for trainers is that they need to continue to be the best trainer they can be with virtual live training as one part of their overall training program. That's not going to go away. And then adding those components in to provide that powerful blended learning experience that we've already talked about. That really is what's going to produce the results. But as far as what's coming in the future in the way of technology, I do think 
There's going to be more adaptive learning capabilities, AI, virtual reality, mobility, and gamification. I would say those are probably the top five on my list. And we're just touching the surface in those areas. I think they haven't been fully adopted across the corporate world yet. It could be due to cost, but also I think the L&D space is not always the first adopter of new technologies. So I think we'll need to see it proven out some more, but I think investing in those technologies is going to make an even bigger and faster impact going forward. Yeah, I think there's going to be more advances in technology, right, to make a lot of these blended things become possible. I do think that the word trainer or the role trainer is going to need to evolve significantly. I think we're going to need less trainers. I think we're going to need more moderators or experienced designers or program owners, right, who can do everything. I think the role of traveling somewhere and facilitating four days a week, it's just not going to be as needed. But you may have five cohorts using a platform and you go in each day and, and chime in and respond to some comments and record videos of yourself for each one. So what a trainer looks like in the future, I think will be very different and very multimedia, much more tech savvy to be able to impact a lot more people, which once again, I think is going to be a big change, very scary for a lot of people who have been very successful trainers. It's just the definition of training as we're talking about, like a blended learning is, is evolving. And I think the trainers are going to have to adjust as well. Great. Well, on that note, thank you both for speaking with us today. It was great hearing from you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. For more insights on blended learning, check out the show notes for this episode at trainingindustry.com slash trainingindustrypodcast. Until next time. If you have feedback about this episode or would like to suggest a topic for a future program, email us at info at trainingindustry.com or use the contact us page at trainingindustry.com. Thanks for listening to the Training Industry Podcast.